0: is there a children's church or no today? No? Okay, fine. All right, just hang in there, boys and girls, and you get to hear a message uh, from God's Word, Galatians chapter 4. Uh, my wife just read that passage, and I want to thank everybody. Everybody did really well reading. It's a little different, isn't it, when you read the scriptures in public, and uh, I noticed that some of you were quite overwhelmed with the, with the message, and that's... That's great. It's good to see that. It's good to see hearts that are soft and tender um, toward the word of God. Um, let's just take a moment and pray. The scripture has already been read, so I'm not going to read it again, um, except when we go, as we go through the verses, but let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful again that we could be here today. We thank Thee for the uh, scriptures that were read and the hymns that were sung all of them having to do with thy dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that, whom thou sent into the world um, to be our Savior. And as uh, the passage was, was just read, that uh, to, he, you sent him to redeem them that were under the law. And we thank thee for that. Father, I pray uh, for your help as we go through this passage a little bit this morning. And I pray that for those who know the Lord, and perhaps everybody does here Uh, that we just might be refreshed and just be thrilled anew at at what thou hast done for us. And if there are any any who are not yet saved, that they might realize their need of a personal uh, accepting of Jesus Christ as Savior, and and thereby being brought into a personal relationship with God. And so help us today in God's word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask a question, probably the answer is no, I would assume, but I wonder if any of you, when you were a child, had a governor or a governess. Anybody? I didn't think so. You all know what that's like, right? Or You've heard about these families, and it was even true in the days of the first century, when Paul wrote the scripture, there were families, and, and probably obviously well to do families, that they turned their children over or to tutors and governesses and governors and so on. And so uh, Paul uses that as an example about our life. Um, again, I'm, I'm not really sure if it's intentional. Uh, on Paul's part to compare the, the torment of having governors governors, governors, and, and tutors uh, to the torment of a life without Christ but uh, I've read stories about families and, and to be honest with you I cannot understand how parents in those days or any day for that matter could take a little six year old child and send them hundreds of miles away to a boarding school I, I just can't imagine that and no wonder the poor kids were you know whatever I, I mean but But Paul is is making a point here. Um, In verse 1, now I say that the heir, and again, he's building on the succeeding chapters of this great book of Galatians, and that that the heir, in other words, the heir to the family, fortune and name and, and authority and all that, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Though he's going to have everything. And in name, he's already you know, the inheritor and he's going to be the successor and all that. But he's not, really nothing different from a servant. But he's under tutors, governors, till the time appointed of the father. Now that tutor and governor uh, would take us back to Galatians 3. If you want to go back to Galatians 3 and verse uh, 22 says this, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin. In other words, the scripture has declared and placed everybody under sin. Everybody. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the Bible, the word of God, decreed from the Lord, has declared the whole human race, we're all under sin. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're under the po- penalty of sin. It also means that we are under the power of sin. Basically, human beings uh, without Christ, before Christ, before the, before the Savior, are basically powerless when it comes uh, to sin and getting over sin and And I mean, I've known people that have tried and tried and tried. They've reformed and they've tried this and they've tried that. And they've tried the other thing uh, to clean up their lives. But inevitably, they always go back until they come to know Christ. Well, and then it says this, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But before faith came, in other words, before we came to faith, before we... Came to trusting Christ as Savior, we were kept under the law. the idea there is we were bound, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, here and here's the tutor part: wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, our teacher, head teacher, really the idea, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified. By faith. I could have also read uh, other verses where it talks about that there, there is no one, no man shall be justified by the deeds of the law. All right? God gave the law, we know that. God gave the Ten Commandments. God gave Moses the tables of stone and he took them down, and we and you know the story about how he broke them because he, he threw them down and broke them because of the terrible sin that was going on in the people of Israel. But those commandments, those laws of God were never given to save. They were given to condemn was our schoolmaster, our teacher, to bring us to Christ. Well, what would the law teach? The law teaches us that we're sinners and we can't save ourselves. And we can't keep the law. So there, even in the Old Testament, God provided a way through the, 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 the sacrifice, through the blood on the altar, to make an atonement for them, a covering for their sins, until Jesus came. Now, that's another oh, marvelous teaching of Scripture. Romans 3 talks about the remission of sins that are passed uh, through the forbearance of God. Have you ever thought about that scripture, that word, the forbearance of God, means this, God withheld judgment and granted forgiveness anticipating the coming of Christ, that that Christ would shed his precious blood on the cross to take away the sin that the Old Testament sacrifices only covered. And so people sometimes ask me, how are people saved in the Old Testament? Well, they were saved in the Old Testament just like they are in the New Testament. They were saved by grace through faith. Faith in the Word of God, faith in the promises of God, and, and by, of course, obeying those scriptures and the way God had given them to bring the blood to the altar and so on but anticipating the coming of the Savior. And I remember as a little boy asking that same question after I was saved and started going to Sunday school. um, I asked one of the teachers, well, how were people saved in the Old Testament? And the fellow said to me, just like they are now. They were saved by looking ahead to the cross. We're saved by looking back at the cross. All right, it's still the cross. It's still Jesus who saved, all right? So the law taught us this. The law teaches that we're sinners and we can't save ourselves and we're helpless and we're powerless and so it points us to Christ. In fact, one of the things Jesus said when he was on the earth is that he came to fulfill the law. Now he did that by obedience. We're going to see that in a moment. But he also did it by bringing bringing the law to its logical conclusion, its God-intended conclusion that the, the Lamb of God must give his life in order to take away the sins of the world. That's why it's so important when we give the gospel. We, when we try to talk to somebody about Christ, I, depending on if they've ever heard before or not heard before, um, we need to get establish the fact of sin in fact, I've come to the point now where I almost feel necessary to take the person back to creation and establish God as our creator, and therefore we are accountable to him. People don't know that, or people reject that today. They need to understand that. I didn't really understand a lot when I was a teenager. We had a youth leader, and he taught us, us teenagers a winning course, and I understood that we needed to witness but he made a statement at the very beginning that he, and he said this, you won't get anybody saved until you get them lost. And I thought, why do we want to get them lost? Well, I, didn't under, I didn't understand. He explained, he meant, till they see their lost condition. He didn't mean get them lost as in confuse them, but he meant get them to understand their lost condition, that they're, they were, they're sinners. Everybody's a sinner in the eyes of God. And so... It's you know, it's not that Jesus will help you get off drugs or Jesus will fix your family or Jesus. That's not how we present Christ. We present Christ as the Savior who died for sinners. And that they're sinners and they're you know, it's not the drugs that are the issue. It is the sin in the heart that led to that. That's the issue. See, those are those are symptoms, but that's not the core of the problem. So Jesus came. To die for our sins. So you got all those ten commandments, and and if anybody, and in, in this day and age, um, <clears throat> if anybody has any doubt about that, I say, "Here, here's let's look at them." Say, "Here's what God, here's those commands that God has given." Right? Because a lot of people, some people still have a faint idea. I suppose some people still watch Moses or whatever around Easter time, and so they have some concept. But again, if they get their their knowledge of the Bible from these movies, phew, they're gonna, there's a lot of stuff you have to. Explained from the scripture, I don't know anyway. That's another story or another point, but anyway, so that that uh, we might be justified by faith, right? not by works, by faith. But after that, after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. All right, where that is not our, our, our attention, our debt, our obligation is no longer to the law, it's to grace, it's to faith. Um, It is to to walking in the Spirit and following the Lord and all those those marvelous things. And and most of you are aware of the fact that one of the reasons that Paul wrote Galatians was to correct a deadly error that had come into the Galatians' churches. That, yes, you're saved by faith, but you're kept by the law. And you had to kind of do both. They kind of mix law and grace, like a lot of religions do today. They try to do that. But anyway... So so I said all that because about verse 2 talks about being under tutors and so forth and then verse 3 of chapter 4 says this, even so we when we were were children in other words that's spiritual children before being saved, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. So they're so there's another thing. The world, the world system, has its hold on people, and it always has. Satan is the god of this world, and he's blinding the eyes and minds, and so on. And so, uh, so we have we were condemned because of the law. The law says, do, you know, do these things, don't do these things. And the the, the Old Testament itself said. Cursed is everyone who continueth not in all the words of this law to do them. So according to God's standard in the Old Testament, or people today trying to get saved by keeping the law, we're only allowed one mistake. One sin ruins it. One sin just destroys it. Plus the fact that we're born sinners with a sin nature, so we're under a double indemnity, so to speak, all right, but then also we've got the world out there. We're under the bondage of the world, the elements, the elements there means the principles, the foundational principles of the world, which are <clears throat> in total opposition to God and to His Word. So we're we're you know we're we're just you know we're done in. They're just nothing. All right, nothing in ourselves. Nothing, no hope at all for us. But verse four. Here we go. Here's where I want us to think about this. And if, you're, if you are saved, if you do know the Lord is Savior, and the, then we can rejoice together in the reminder of what God has done. Um, so let's look into it. Let's go. Verse 4. <clears throat> Notice the timing. But when the fullness of the time was come. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So from, the, from even before there was a world, before there was a universe, God had worked out the plan of redemption. Not only, not only that, what he would do and how he would do it, but when. The fact that Jesus Christ came into the world at the precise moment predetermined by God, the fullness of the time, the exact moment in time and when when it was exactly right for God to do this, when the fullness of the time was come. And I've read in some historical commentaries on the gospel and the day in which Christ came that there were several things that were true in the world Because of the Roman Empire. Now, you know, we think about, we always talk about the corruption and all that in the the Roman Empire. But, you know, there were actually things in the Roman Empire that made it the perfect time to spread the gospel. And so one of the things was the Roman system of highways that, that really increased travel and the fact that there was relative safety, and it, it was just really conducive for the first time in, in centuries to, for, for, a, for worldwide travel and spread of the gospel. That's exactly what happened. And so other things we could say along that line, but, but ultimately it simply was that God said it is time. God determined that moment in time. And so when the fullness of time was come, what do he do? God, God in heaven sent forth his son, right? The angel said, the scripture was read. The angel said to Mary, thou, thou, behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shall bring forth a son, Shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and so it shall be called the son of the highest. And then later on, after Mary said, well, how can this be? I know not a man, the angel said, "The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee; therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. John 3:16 refers to him as the only begotten son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so God has many sons through the new birth and through regeneration. But he only has one begotten Son um, through the Virgin Mary, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Now that's a wonderful statement. That just that separates the Lord Jesus from every other person that's ever been born. Except for Adam and Eve, that's a whole different that's another story. You know, God direct created Adam from the dust of the earth and then he created Eve from one of Adam's ribs. A marvelous, marvelous account. By the way, that's not a fable, that's not a fairy tale. That's exactly how it happened. And I had some people, boo, don't mock at that. And I said, hey, have you ever had operation? Have you ever had surgery? Yeah, what's that to do with it? Well, if a doctor can perform surgery, do you think God can perform surgery? That's what he did, right? I think it's neat. Well, it's, I'm sorry, this is, off, this is totally off the subject, but, but it's neat how God did it. So he, what did God do to Adam? He, put, he made a deep sleep, so he put him out. I can never say this word. Let's see if I can get it. He anesthetized Adam. <laughs> Opened him up, took out the rib, in other words, did what needed to be done, and then he, the Bible says, he closed up the flesh. Doctors, when they're done with the surgery, say, I'm ready to close. So God performed the first operation. And people go, whoa, i never thought of it that way. I'm sure you didn't. But anyway, um, so God did that. He, but made of a woman is this. Every other, every other human being is made of a man and a woman. But not Jesus, made of a woman, the Virgin Mary, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that, that's, that's an amazing, it's an amazing miracle, yes, but it's also an, ama- an, an amazing condescension for our, the Lord of glory, which is what Jesus is called in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, he's called the Lord of glory. For the Lord of glory to submit and subject himself to being placed in the, in the womb of, of, of Mary and to be born a child, not a prince, although the Bible calls him prince of peace. He was not born as a king in a palace. He was born in a stable, laid in a manger among animals and, and all that sort of thing. A lowly birth. Mary could almost... Get it? If, we, if, if he came to earth, you know, as the most mighty, and in a palace, and you know, the retinue, and all the stuff. But no, he came. He was made of a woman, and then made under the law. Now, a couple things about that. Number one, first of all, made under the law was for identification. Made like those he came to save. Philippians chapter two, verses five through eleven, talk about Jesus' humiliation. How he came to earth and he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. See, so he came to identify those that he came to save. But then also, not only that, made under the law was meant that he was, the, the, all the demands of the law were required of Jesus. And unlike us, who are incapable of obeying the law, Jesus Christ absolutely, fully, completely, 100% obeyed and fulfilled the law. Let's not forget that. He obeyed the law. When he was on earth. Even as much as the Bible says. On the Sabbath as his custom was. He went into the synagogue. He attended the services. Of the temple in Jerusalem. Or the synagogues. In the cities where he was. And then he fulfilled. He fulfilled that law. Complete obedience. And God sent him. T.O. verse 5, to, in order to, the purpose this, redeem them that were under the law. Now this is talking about the sinful human race. To redeem. And that's a wonderful word. The word redeem has a couple meanings. It means to purchase but also the idea of rescuing out of desperate circumstances. So the Lord came and he, he redeemed there. He paid the price. And the main, One of the main ideas of that word redeemed there is to um, purchase, buy, buy the freedom, pay the penalty. So the Lord Jesus Christ fully paid for my sins. And your sins and the sins of the whole world. And I hope that you don't you not ever get tired of hearing that. I sure don't get tired of talking about it, preaching it. I never I've never gotten over it. I hope I never do. I hope I never will. I've never got over the fact that God would send his son to save a wretch like me. A sinner. Who deserve hell? I I don't understand. Well, I do understand in a way, but I was going to say I don't understand why people have such a hard time with that. Why they why do they have such a hard time seeing that they're sinners and and seeing that they deserve God's punishment? Why do we, what, who, what do we think we are? I know I know the Bible talks about that. This, what Psalms has a lot to say about the arrogance of man. But listen. <laughs> God, God didn't send his son to, to, to a bunch of good people. The Bible says that while we were enemies, he died for us. Um, and praise God for that, to redeem us. And, and he paid it. You know, the hymn writer said, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson, crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He did that for us. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Um, he redeemed us. That were under the law. And I'm not, I'm not I don't apologize for saying this. I'm so, I'm so thrilled that we don't have to bring animals here and kill them and, and bring the blood and do all those things. I mean, it was necessary back then, but not now. Because the lamb has paid the price. Praise the Lord for that to redeem them that were under the law, that law of condemnation. The law, Romans 8 calls it, the law of sin and death. It's a law. In other words, no exceptions. But <clears throat> Jesus came to redeem us that we might receive the adoption of sons. That is, that we might be made sons of God. And the idea there is all with all the the, all the rights the legal rights privileges and responsibilities of a son of God I don't mean to put my I don't want to I don't mean to embarrass Jan at all but some of you know maybe some you don't know that she was adopted um, her mom died Jan was five years old when her mother died her dad nobody knows where he even went or whatever and her uncle took her and her two sisters in it's a long it's a wonderful story you I, have her tell you sometime. But her uncle, they, she, he had just been married a couple years and had one daughter, right? Yeah, she, they had one daughter of their own, okay? They were going to split the girls up. And my, her, her uncle John, her dad, now, I mean, said, no way. I'm not letting those girls be split up. They need to be together. And they'd, they'd been saved just a short time, right? Two years, all right, here you go. Two years saved, right? The man that built their house led them to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? A guy, a businessman had that burden. Anyway, and he saved them. God saved them. And my my in-laws, Jan's uncle and aunt, were having meetings with Jehovah's Witnesses. But their builder took the scriptures, led them to Christ, and of course they, they were done... Would you witness But so anyway, so then <clears throat> the Halkas, Jan's uncle and aunt, they had three more sons of their own, so they raised seven kids, and they adopted them. I mean, not I guess there was nothing binding in those days, but they just they just took them in. And the, day, the wonderful day came. I'm going to cry, but when when they said they could call them dad and mom, I don't call them aunt anymore, but dad and mom because they're in the house and. And uh, they loved them. It was, it was. I mean, they were. It's just different up there. Different. Uh, but anyway, so I can appreciate from her her viewpoint, her standpoint, what it means for somebody to take you in when you're basically an orphan. Well, that's what we were. We we're basically orphans, and Jesus took us in. So, and then besides that, one other great blessing in verse six is this: because ye are sons. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we have the Holy Spirit. A couple weeks ago, if some most of you were here, but the uh, Jeremy Markle, the missionary we support to Puerto Rico, he he really, I mean, he did a great job with the word of God. And I'm sitting there like, oh man, oh man, come on, come on, keep it coming, keep it coming. But he kept saying daddy. He kept referring to God as daddy, and I'm so like <clears throat> It's the truth. Abba. You know what Abba is? That's just a, that's a, um, that's a transliteration. They took the Greek words and put them into English. And we have Abba. You know what Abba is? Abba is the first thing a child in the Greek culture says. And ladies, oh, hey, we have somebody, we have a young couple just about to be parents for the first time. Right? Don't even you know? Forget about this mama stuff because it ain't gonna happen first. Because it's always they always say dad at first, all right? Because it's just it's normal, right? Nothing against mama. So, but it really, it, the most so abba best translates into English as papa, papa, or dad. In other words, it's a term of endearment between a child. And his father and I mentioned in the, after that that I'm still trying to get that, and uh, you know after all these years, that God is my father, and I know in this day and age that's tough for a lot of people too. And I remember in Sunday school when they started telling us that God was our heavenly father, you know just like your earthly father. I thought, oh man, God, that's how God is. Mm-hmm. My father was a drunk. He was always running around with women. Uh, he left us for good when I was like nine years old. Never was a father. Well, I maybe mean, once in a while, one a few times he wasn't drinking. He'd take me fishing or something. But I mean it was awful. I mean we we, we went without everything because of his drinking. And I thought, that's God's my father. I had to learn, of course. I'd learn different. I, and you can learn differently too. Uh, you know, some of you had great families, some didn't, but you know what? Uh, that's another thing today. We've got to teach children, boy, kids today. A lot of kids today don't know what a family is. Anyway, that's another subject, but it goes along with it, right? God is our Father. He loves us. We praise the Lord for that. And we can go to Him, and, and we, can, we can pray to Him. We can, I mean, we can live for Him. We can walk with Him and we can serve him all because that baby was born in Bethlehem and grew up and went to the cross and died for us. Praise God for that. Praise the Lord for that. I was in a Bible conference one time in Canada and it was actually the preacher was my great uncle and he was 73 years old. And he tried to, in the message, he tried to say what Christ meant to him after he'd been saved for 40-some years. And he just just broke down and wept. I thought, wow. I was an 18, 19-year-old kid, and I thought, wow, that's weird. But then now I understand. I understand. Thank God for Christ and what he's done. And if you don't know him today, we're here to help. We want to show you how you can know him as your Savior. And again, look, look, those of us who are saved, man, let, you know, just rejoice, be thankful, be joyful, be thrilled, be overwhelmed, whatever, at the grace of God, what he's done for us. Father in heaven, we thank thee for this time. Thank you for this precious time you could have together, dear Lord. I thank thee for the strength that you gave for all the readers and for the congregational singing and Ruthie playing and for Callan beautiful prelude solo, and um, the first Noel and and Father Noel simply means good tidings and we praise thee for that. We thank thee so much for the Lord Jesus. I pray that every one of us here today would give him his due. Please work through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right let's take our hymn books. I'd like us to sing one more hymn please. Number 242, and I trust that you are trusting in him, but if you have questions, we'd love to talk to you after the service, after we pray, or if God has really spoken in your heart and you're concerned about your, where you stand with God as we sing with him, I invite you to come down to right the front, and we will tell, we'll have somebody show you from the word of God how you can be saved. please let us know. 252, only trust him. Let's stand, please, as we say. Of course, obviously, that the baby in the manger grew up, became a man, and one day went to that cross. And he gave his life, shed his precious blood bore our sin so that he could be saved. Alright, 252, only trust him. <laughs> in prayer and Brother Don Don, would you close in prayer please?
1: Our Father who art thank you for this day day of our Christmas program we thank everyone that participated in it we thank you for all your love and we give praise to you Lord we thank you for the message we just received we pray for all that will be here today for whatever the reason we pray that you will Rid us of this virus that's with us. We pray that uh, these restrictions will bring down the number of cases, and hopefully the virus, uh, the vaccine will do what it's supposed to do. We pray now that you'll deliver us all safely back to our homes so we can return for the evening service. We pray that you'll watch over us throughout this holiday season. We pray all these things in your excellent name.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. At six o'clock tonight is the evening service.